you're in or you're out. Welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D., a presentation of Osage Advisors. So welcome everyone to the ins and outs of selling a business. My name is David Yaz from the Boston Podcast Network, and I'm here, of course, with Keith D. of Osage Advisors, maiden voyage of the podcast. How are you feeling about it, Keith? Very excited, Dave. Been a long time waiting for this and ready to go. Excellent. That's good to hear. So as we do on this podcast, as the title suggests, the ins and outs of selling a business. And today we're going to talk about sort of stage one, the questions you, sh- you should reflect upon if you're thinking about selling a business, what's motivating the sale and things like that. So let's start at the beginning, as it were, Keith. What are some of the typical reasons people are inspired to sell and they've gotten to that moment? Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, you know, when a business owner he or she comes to that realization conclusion that they're ready to make a make a decision on selling their company. You know, it's a long, long process. And the key thing is 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 to determine what's motivating the sale because that's going to kind of set the stage for all the steps that follow. And uh, there's various reasons uh, owners looking to sell. I mean, certainly in, in today's environment with the uh, pandemic, uh, a lot of business owners are under stress, uh, high anxiety, and you know, maybe at the point where they just don't want to go through it anymore. And they just want to make a move, and that could be that could be the process. They've been through the, the Great Recession in two thousand eight. They've been through uh, the recession two thousand and, and before, and it's just it's just time that just they just basically said, "I've had enough, and I want to move on with my life." So that's one reason. Uh, you know, typically, business owners, you know, it, it could be retirement. Certainly, older owners who could be in their late sixties, early seventies. They just want to enjoy what they've accomplished, you know, basically uh, after a short transition period, uh, which could be three to six months, move on. Uh, it could be a personal reason. It could be you know, they've been in a partnership with somebody for a number of years, and that partner could be an uh, unrelated party, could be a family member, uh, could be a father, son, mother, daughter, and they just decide that I just don't want to do this anymore. Uh, we're not getting along, and it's just too much aggravation, and I'm ready to move on. Obviously, for o- older owners, you know, health issues, concerns are a big consideration. And it's not necessarily the health of the owner. It could be the health of their spouse. I mean, for example, we had a, uh, a client we sold last year and uh, he was 74. He was in great shape, great health, uh, terrific person, loved what he did. But, you know, his spouse had, had some significant me- medical issues and he wanted to be by her side. It was more important to him and most important, which it should be, that he wanted to make sure he was there for her. That kind of motivated him to make this decision to move on. Sure. Yeah, that, big- that a personal reason like that, I imagine, would motivate someone in a hurry. Um, and I, I take it that when you come along, you come along at a point where you're you're actually solving two problems for him. He needed a, a plan in any way to move the business along at some point in the future. And yet he's got this immediate issue of his ailing spouse. That's correct. Some of those things are, as you said, um, an immediate need. Right. Because they really can't pay attention to the business. I mean, they have, they have two families. They have their own family and they have the business. And the business for family-owned companies is a second family. In fact, it is like it, it could be uh, for their employees. It's their, it's their comfort area. They've you know they've been working with this ownership for a long time, and and so they got to balance all that out. And it, it turns out you know family comes first, right? So they got to make a transition, but they want to do it in a way that they protect both families. So that's where we come in: is to find the right type of buyer that's going to 
help them get to that decision point. You know, you mentioned something earlier that you and I have had conversations about, and that is decisions made during this pandemic. I mean, it's it's dominated all of our thoughts during 2020. You've been very busy, and I think some people might find that find that counterintuitive. In other words, some people you might think use the pandemic as a reason to put things on hold, but it's been the opposite for you. You've been very busy. A lot of people are in fact, motivated. You mentioned it briefly, but tell me why you think that is. They see a long path to getting back to normalcy under business. And, you know, it's a, make it, it's a significant investment. So we've been getting a lot of phone calls of owners, you know, what's the strategy now? How do we move forward? And the fact is, we're looking for ways that we can reduce the stress and anxiety in your life. So if we're able to find a buyer that takes maybe a big piece of the, uh, uh, with a bigger balance sheet, stronger balance sheet, more resources, not just in, in, in cash, but also in people and infrastructure, et cetera. If they could take some money off the table now, it allows them to mitigate some risk, to distress them in the fact that they will be able to focus on key issues that are important to them with the business. Because likely in this market, they're going to have to stay on for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. The buyer is going to want that. And from a valuation perspective, we're in a, we're in a uh, an environment of shared risk. Is that the owner still have to share some risk, which means that they'll get a piece of the uh, of the purchase price uh, today, and then they'll work for a couple of years to get the value back up, and then they'll take the second piece, you know, based on some kind of agreement they come to, or we negotiate under behalf with the buyer. So it does a lot of things. One is again. Helps distress, and they'll focus on the top line. Focus on key issues. Someone else will do uh, the most uh, the difficult, uh, the human resources, uh, building out the infrastructure, uh, pivoting to a new sales channel, all those type of things. Uh, they get some money off the table, so they kind of like uh, diversify their portfolio. They've taken some money off, and also provides them with the opportunity to get back to that valuation that was pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, if they work a couple more years. So it's a balancing act. And the key thing is, is to find the right partner for you to, for you to work with to get there. In a moment, we're going to get to the key questions that you should ask before you consider selling your business. But let me pick up on one thing before we get there, Keith. And that is during the pandemic, you mentioned people may be looking as, as you said, a, a long road. And this might be a way of taking care of this now before having to navigate that long road. Does that necessarily mean that they're quote unquote cutting losses and might have to endure some kind of a discount over what the typical market price would be? I wouldn't call it a discount. I would call it that it's what we call the trade and earn out. Um, is that they will, buyer is willing to pay full value for your company if you get back to where you were pre, pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So they're, again, the shared risk concept. So they may say, okay, we're willing to pay you 80% today. And that 20% of value, which, you know, um, getting, your, getting your profits back up, getting your sales back up. If you get that out of the next one or two years, we're happy to pay you. And the buyer wants to pay you. Because if you're successful, they're successful. You have to anticipate you're going to have to spend some time with your company post-selling to get that full value that's a long way. Now, if you don't get that full value, there's circumstances that could have caused that. We have a second dip or another. The pandemic lasts a lot longer. You're not motivated to get there. Uh, there's reasons why that may not happen. 
But the likelihood is that you still are driving the ship. You are still in control of getting back to that full value. For example, if your company was worth, you know, on March 1st, $10 million, and today it's worth $8 million, mm. right? Because you had a dip in sales and your profits, the buyer's still going to pay a value, a, a fair multiple. Mm-hmm. So they may pay you that $8 million today, but they'll want you to get back to that $10 million, so they'll pay it over a couple of years once you get back to the profitability level. And you'll be in control of, uh, of getting there. I can see why people come to you because that sort of valuation strikes me as a potentially complex one and yet an integral one because you do want that full value. You've spent, you've spent potentially a lifetime building up this business. You know, why take a reduced price for something that is hopefully in relative, in relative terms, a moment in time. So motivated or not selling a business, I certainly imagine is something you shouldn't do precipitously. So Tell me some of the questions that, that, that you ask or that you prompt your client to ask themselves before they make that decision. So we always want to show, the first thing we ask is, you know, you know obviously what's motivating the sale, right? And those questions deal with, like we talked about, I want to retire. It's a personal issue. You know, it's a good time to cash out, which obviously we're not at that time. A year ago, we were there. Mm-hmm. You know, 2019 it was a great time to cash out, but you know, hindsight is 2020. You know, I'm looking at the industry changes and challenges. A lot of my, a lot of my competitors, my peers, people that I've known for years that I compete with on a friendly basis, you know, they are they're getting out. And the bottom line is, I don't know who I'm dealing with anymore. And mm-hmm. I see they're getting bit up by bigger companies, and that is, you know, how am I going to compete? At my at certain times in your life. You know, do you want to take that risk? Do you want to make that additional investment in your business that you need to make at 68 or 7 years old to compete? For example, you know, if you're in the aerospace manufacturing or medical device manufacturing or any kind, of, and you need to, uh, you know, to buy a, uh, a five-axis machine, which is a multi-turning, milling type machine, uh, to be able to produce parts quicker at less, less cost so you compete, and that could be a half million to a million dollar in capital investment in your company. And will you be around to reap those rewards? So that risk reward analysis really plays into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of things that you got to think about when, you know, when you're selling. So, and then, you know, and then you got to look at, you know, what are your goals? You know, it's the reason why you're selling is one thing, but what do you want out of it? What's your goals and objectives? And that's a, that's a question that we, we focus on from the beginning of the process to the day we close. And we always, we always ask our clients, after a tough negotiations, long negotiations, long out process, you know, did we meet your goals and objectives? Are you happy with the deal? Do you like the party you're, you're doing a deal with? You never lose sight of that. Are some folks in your industry, I know that your approach is meticulous and your, your approach is, is very client focused. I suppose many purport to do that, but it sounds like you're trying to delve deep into what the, the true goals of a client are because oftentimes it's possible it's not just money. It's not just getting the, the highest price. In fact, that might be completely secondary to other personal things. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, we look at a total value proposition for our clients. What, what is important to them? It's, you know, the, at the end of the day, it's an emotional decision. This is the most important decision a business owner is going to make outside of maybe getting married, having kids. All that factors in to a value proposition 
when you're selling. And that, and that value includes several, several you know, spokes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's the, obviously the, the sales price of the business. It's the legacy of my family company. You know, I could be, you know, the kids, the second, third generation didn't want it, so I'm going to sell. But I still want that legacy to continue. Mm-hmm. It's the culture I've created over all these years of how we've run our company in our, in our community, not just in, internally, but how we run our, in, you know, big, big parts of the community. And, and most importantly, it's the people that got us here, our employees. Like I said, our second family. I want to make sure they're protected. They have a job. I mean, for example, we had a company we sold last year and it was imperative to the two owners or majority owners mm-hmm. that the business stay in that community when it's sold for at least five years. Mm-hmm. And we had multiple parties come to the table that wanted to buy it, but they wanted to shift manufacturing out to the Midwest, the company's East Coast company, and keep a small sales and engineering office. They were out immediately. We put it right in the materials, right in the book, right in our, our, our confidential memorandum. Owners transition goals and objectives. We want the company to stay locally for X number of years. That is a priority to us. Those are things that are important to the business owners. It sounds and like again, some, goes, of, some of the, sorry to interrupt you, Keith, some of the potential buyers in that situation might have thought they could, if they upped the price enough, they could, you know, persuade the your, your clients to waive that. And, and yet, apparently not. Well, look, we had one bid that came in from a very strong uh, candidate. And they wouldn't commit to more than a two-year lease. Mm-hmm. My, my clients owned the building. Mm-hmm. And my owners said, that doesn't work for us. So we went back to them and said, look, we'll, we'll do the two-year lease if you commit that you will keep the business within 50 miles of the current location for, you know, for the next three years afterwards. And they said no. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, so at the end of the day, you know, they, they're, they're planning on moving the manufacturing out of the state and to you know, someplace in the Midwest. But, you know, we had, we, we tried to work with them. We gave them, we gave them a couple of options, a couple outs, a couple opportunities. And it was clear they didn't want to do that. Now, so they didn't, so we had the, the eventual buyer of this company was a foreign entity out of Germany uh, in the same industry that had no presence in the U.S. They wanted a facility in the U.S. They wanted a presence. They wanted a factory. And so you knew that they were going to stay here. This is their first entry into the U.S. And they wanted a facility to grow from. So, and they were, and they, and in fact, they in, in included in their letter of intent was they were going to invest another $802 million in capital improvements to the existing facility. Mm-hmm. That gave my clients a lot of comfort that they were going to stick there for a while. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a lot of the questions and the soul searching that your clients need to do are around what the future looks like, what the, what the future looks like after the business is sold. It sounds like it's never uh, even, you know, cut and, cut and dry exit. And so what, what other kind of things does your clients need to consider about the, the fabric of the business now and what that will mean after the sale? Well, I mean, you know, again, it comes down to, you know, most of our clients have never been through a sales process. It's a one-time opportunity, one-time, one-time transaction. Um, 
And so they have initial, like we said, we look at their goals, objectives. So we run through our process. We bring multiple parties to the table at the same time. We run an auction process, which we can certainly talk about on a future episode um, of this. But the bottom line is we set up a competition. And our clients, the goal of what we do is understanding the goals, objectives. And then through our auction process, they become a well-informed, educated seller. In doing so, they hear, they hear what the market likes about their company and what they don't like about their company. And most of the buyers we bring to the table, they've never heard of before. So when they're sitting with these parties at the table, you know, their initial goal was, I want to exit in six months. But after talking to some of these parties, they're like, oh, I can just focus on growing the top line, don't have to deal with the, the human resources, the uh, op- uh, operations, uh, the infrastructure. Sure, I can just focus on what I really love doing. And they're like, yes. And they're like, well, maybe, maybe I want to stay on for a couple of years. Mm. So our goal is you get those options out there so they can make some informed decisions of what makes sense to them. So, you know, whether it's whether they're exiting initially a short-term transition or under, uh, you know, they decided they're going to work on an employment agreement because they like what they see and they think it'd be fun for another couple of years. Mm. So there's a lot of ways, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's kind of the saying. So, um, again, well-informed, educated seller so they can make an informed decision. It's key to the whole process. So, Keith, in order to wrap this episode up, perhaps we go back to some of the core messages and let your potential clients know that these people that are considering selling their business, what are the real core things they should never lose sight of? Never lose sight of what's motivating the decision and what your goals and objectives are from a transaction. Um, you know, we say that you should test the market. And what that means is that you should always be driving the process your way. If you pick up the phone and someone wants to buy your business, they are now in a, they are now dominating the conversation. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, you are now, you are now, they are now directing the process. And someone who has had a company for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they owe it to themselves to do it their way. And so you need to be prepared. And by doing so, the buyers have to follow your lead or your lead in this case, you know, with, with a company like Osage. And if they want to go through that process, if they want to are interested in your business, then they're going to follow the steps you laid forth under your terms, not their terms. You do not want to be in a disadvantage when you pick up the phone, when you're not prepared to answer these questions to yourself. Why am I selling and what are my goals and objectives? Well, that's just a tremendous start to this podcast, in my opinion, Keith, because we've already hit upon some of the core things, some of the main things that are going through the mind of of some people who are considering selling their business. It's a complicated thing. And that's why there are professionals like you to help them sort this out from the emotions to the black and white numbers and everything in between. Um, So thanks for listening to this podcast all. Please uh, join us on the next episode where we'll continue to hit all the aspects around the ins and outs of selling a business. And Keith, Please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they have follow-up questions about all this stuff. 
So thanks, David. Uh, really enjoyed uh, speaking to you today. Very excited to get this uh, podcast going. Uh, best way to reach me is uh, uh, through our website, uh, osageadvisors.com. That's O-S-A-G-E, advisors with an S.com. Or you can always pick up the phone and give me a call. Uh, my phone number is 860-767-3273, extension 1001. And thanks so much for listening. For more information on Keith and Osage Advisors, check the show notes of this podcast. A reminder that if you like this, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening and looking forward to talking to you on the next episode.